Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the Miller Report with Suzanne Miller on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And now, here's Suzanne Miller. Welcome to the Miller Report. I'm Suzanne Miller. I am the CEO of Empire State Properties, a real estate company in New York City. Today we have with us a special guest. He is the real estate bureau chief of the Wall Street Journal, and he's a graduate of Berkeley University, and he also did a book called The Biology of the Dollar. Biography of the Dollar. Welcome, Craig Carmen to the Miller Report. So actually, before I start, I do want to ask you about that book. And I do want to ask, do you think this dollar is under siege? <sighs> the dollar has gone through periods where it's been under siege. But I think on Monday, it was back to an, uh, its high for the year. Mm-hmm. We go through periods in which uh, the euro is seen as gaining on the dollar. And the Saudis and others in the Middle East have talked about uh, trading in the yuan with China when they want to do uh, oil sales. But in the end, everyone seems to come back to the dollar. The dollar is what is known. It's a global standard. The U.S. is relatively stable. The currency is very liquid. And there's really no strong motivation to move to something else. For better or worse, the dollar is the de facto currency. It's been working. And I think it would take a real crisis in the U.S. before the global economy wanted to switch off the dollar. Would a government shutdown start that? I don't like think today? I don't think a government shutdown. We've we've had government shutdowns before, and the dollar the dollar may have traded lower, but it hasn't it hasn't been displaced. I think um, you know potentially extreme political uh, paralysis could eventually have some impact on the dollar. Uh, certainly, if we defaulted on our debt, which we have teetered on the edge of doing a couple of times in recent years. Uh, I could see that eventually having a, an issue with the dollar. But but short of those really drastic situations, the dollar is probably going to remain the world's currency you know, for the foreseeable future. Well, today is October 4th, 2023. And Craig, I hope that you're right, because I have not seen so much insta- instability in my lifetime. And today with our House Speaker being fired and trying to uh, – all the stuff going on with Trump, this is very fertile ground. And I it couldn't be more of a day to talk about the dollar and our country than today, and that I hope that you're right, and I pray that our dollar will continue to flourish. But let's talk about real estate, because that's why you're here, and uh, thank you for coming on the Miller Report. So what are you seeing? There's so much going on right now. I know it's a a general question, but let's just start with overall. What are you seeing? Well, commercial real estate is really going through a difficult time right now. some of the some of the sectors are actually quite solid fundamentally. I think you know long term industrial, uh, multifamily look very strong. Retail has been picking up. Hotels are are doing much better than they were a little while ago. Um, office is going through an existential crisis. We can talk more more specifically about mm-hmm. that uh, in a bit. Uh, but the problem is when interest rates double from where they were at the start of last year, all commercial real estate is under pressure because all commercial real estate owners have to refinance their debt and they're having to refinance it at levels that are considerably higher. 
Uh, banks are very reluctant to lend on any type of real estate right now. Uh, commercial property owners also have hedges on their uh, on their loans to cover interest rate increases. They need to renew these hedges. These costs are also skyrocketing. So all of commercial real estate is is going through a, a tough patch right now, and um, we don't know when it's going to end until we know when interest rates start to level off and we know that the economy is going to be stable. Well, that was a very global answer, and thank you. And I would like to to delve into more specifics on each one of those topics. But specifically, did you hear, like last week, the NAR report came out that every every region has been down. California has been down lower, 7%. But the Northeast is actually down 1%. They say it's only down 1.5%. So that was actually good news. Did you read that? And what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that was for the month of August. I wouldn't read too much into one month, but I, I will say that um, on the West Coast, you know, you know those big cities in California, mm-hmm. Portland, Seattle as well, those had the biggest run-ups going into the pandemic, and now they are experiencing the biggest drops. Um, in the Northeast, you know, you look at places outside of Boston and New York, the run-ups were much smaller. In fact, I think, you know, some of the markets in Connecticut are holding up among the best in the nation. Um, They didn't go up quite as fast, and they're now able to hold those more modest gains while the supercharged markets tend to be suffering the most, with the exception of the Florida markets, which were among the fastest rising and and continue to be among the most robust uh, housing markets. It's going to sink because of all the people there. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's, that's another issue. So what about New York? What are you seeing specifically in this town? Well, rents are still very high. Um, I think uh, New York is kind of suffering the same thing that everyone else is, which is with interest rates very high and with supply being somewhat limited, uh, the market is is pretty slow. And um, a lot of people don't want to sell because they have locked in a a relatively low interest rate. You either got a mortgage or you refinanced. If you're at 3% or less or even at 4%, why would you want to sell your apartment and then move somewhere where you'd have to you know, take out a mortgage at seven plus percent. Uh, why not wait a couple of years and wait for rates to come down? So I, I, I think New York in that sense is like everyone else. People who have homes are grateful that they have these low interest rate uh, mortgages and have no intention of moving anytime soon. So what I'm seeing from my friends in my, in my company, Empire State Properties, is that although prices haven't really come down, there's just not a lot of transactions because people don't want to sell. Are you, do you see that? That's, that's the case across the country. I think, um, I think transactions are down by about a third from uh, going into the pandemic on a, on a nationwide basis. And supply, while it's not at its lowest, it's still considered very low by historical levels. And again, it's, it's the same thing. Um, you know, boomers who would typically sell their homes when they get into their more senior years and move into smaller places or into senior facilities or staying in their homes longer. There's these new age-in-place techniques that make it easier to live on your own uh, even as you age. And again, there's, there's that interest rate factor, which is keeping everyone trapped by, by their low interest rate. Who wants to pay double the mortgage rate when you could stay where you are? I personally think it's interest rates and also uncertainty. What's your thoughts about that? Because if you really felt that market was doing well and you wanted to buy a place, it never would really stop you. I remember when I bought my first place, it was 11%. So is it really the interest rates or is it really this, the confidence in the market? 
Well, it's probably somewhat the confidence in the market, but you know, 11%, it's all relative, right? If, if the rates were at 11%, but they had been at 9% before right. or 12% before, 11% seems kind of normal to you. If you, if you looking at the reality of having to pay twice as much each month on your mortgage, uh, that's not something a lot of people want to do. And another interesting thing we've been looking at is the cost to insure your home has been going up. Oh, yeah. In places that have been hit by storms and wildfires and other natural disasters, they've doubled and, and tripled in, in, in some. If you could even get insurance. If you could even get insurance. And that's a real issue because for people who felt, all right, I've locked in my mortgage at 3%. I have a 30-year fixed rate. I am set. I don't have to worry about my home costs rising, well, now insurance costs are going up, and that means uh, you, you may have to end up paying more on an annual basis because insurance costs can reset every year. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So let's switch over to the hotel market, which is one of your specialties. What are you seeing? Tell, I mean, I know the Waldorf Astoria. I've been following that. It's going to be part mixed use, correct? It's going to be hotel and condos. Funny, when I first started out in the business in 1986, I know it's a long time ago, we started in a building called the Taft, and it was part hotel and part residence, and that's why we started furnished apartments because it was, you could, it was a mix, a hybrid. I think this model is coming back. What are you seeing in this business? Yeah, the, the branded residence is very hot right now. Um, all the big luxury brands, the Waldorf, Mandarin Oriental, um, St. Regis, they're all doing uh, hotels with apartments. And then when you sell the condos, that helps pay for the development costs. And this model has become so successful that a lot of these luxury brands now are just selling condos without the hotel attached to it. But it's branded a Four Seasons or a Waldorf or a St. Regis, and you get a lot of the hotel services there. And when you when you brand it with one of these luxury names, uh, often the developer can charge a premium to what you would sell it if it was unbranded but a similar type of product. But getting to your, your question about New York hotels in general, mm -hmm. um, it's it's really a much, much brighter situation. Than brighter? Much brighter. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, you know, it wasn't that long ago that New York was one of the worst hotel markets in the country. You know, visitors had stopped showing up. Business travel had ground to a halt. Conference business was going nowhere. Um, people didn't want to travel. And... You know, this is a, a city with more hotel rooms than any other in, in the United States, and they, you know, a lot of them closed down and still haven't opened and will never reopen. But there's a, a bunch of headwinds, and we had a story about this recently that are sort of unique to the New York hotel market. 
Um, visitors are back, uh, both domestic and foreign. Chinese visitors are still not back in full force, but European visitors are. If you walk around Times Square in Midtown, you'll hear Spanish, Italian, French. Um, Airbnb now is, uh, is losing thousands of Yeah, hosts. that was my next question. Yeah, because of these new rules that say you have to register and, and they have various uh, limitations, like the, the owner has to be in the apartment and mm -hmm. can't rent out the entire apartment. So a lot of people are giving up their listings. That means uh, More, people who are visiting are going to turn to hotels. Or short-term housing, we hope. <laughs> or short-term housing. Um, there's a, a recently passed law that limits the amount of uh, the, the rules around building new hotels, which is going to keep supply down. You still have um, thousands of rooms that are taken out of the market from uh, the pandemic period. And how about the migrants that are taking up all these rooms? And then finally, there's that. If, if, if all else fails and you can't get anyone to stay in your hotel, the city will pay you to, to house migrants. So um, right now, there, there's all these, these tailwinds. And in, in August, uh, room rates for Manhattan hotels, I think in New York City hotels in general, were uh, very close to their all-time highs. Which is what, 800 a night? No, I think it was uh, more like 260 a night. Oh, well, I don't know. Eight, 800 at some of the hotels you were talking about with the branded residences. But, but you know, overall, it was, it was about 260 a night. And what's the occupancy, would you say? Occupancy, I, I think it's in the 70s. It might mm -hmm. be a little bit higher. Um, August is a pretty good month. It tends to peak in December when people come out for the holidays, you know, to see the ball drop, to see all the stores lit up around Christmas time. But the occupancy isn't quite back to where it was before. But uh, rev par and room rates, I think, are, are basically back or above where they were in 2019. That, that's great news. But tell me something, Craig. If I own a hotel and I'm forced to use union employees, how am I making any money? All these hotels are union. Uh, it is more challenging for uh, union hotels. Not all the hotels here are union. Um, but that has been something that has been uh, – uh, potential issue for some of the hotel owners. They say that they have to pay higher wages, they have to employ more people. Um, at the same time, uh, they let go a lot of people during the pandemic and they're still facing shortages at some of these hotels. Um, and like I said, their, their room rates are back to all-time high, so they'll, they'll, they'll find a way to make it work. So you, are there new hotels being built right now other than the – I think the Gramercy is going to switch to also condo. Did you read that? The no, I think the Gramercy is going it, to it, – it's been closed. It's going to reopen under a new owner. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to stay hotel. I, I haven't heard anything about condos. I, I guess it's always a possibility, but I think that one's more, more built toward a, a hotel. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, I think there, there's new hotels opening right where um, my offices are by 48th Street. There's uh, three brands from Hilton. It's, it's a three-branded property. It's, it's hundreds of rooms, maybe a 1,000 rooms that was recently sold, um, opening up. I think, I think at least one of the hotels is open now, and the other ones, I think, are opening uh, before too long. Well, that's great news. Thanks for the bright spot today. So let's talk a little bit about not so bright, which is the office market. So I know we're suffering. People are back to four days, maybe, some, and there's so much vacancy in the hotel. Tell our listeners how you think this is going to pan out and what you see is going to happen with all these vacancies in the hotel, in the office market. Yeah, well, the office market is really in the worst shape of, of all the commercial real, ta uh, real, real estate sectors. I, even before the pandemic, we had a glut of office in major cities goes back decades, goes back to the 1980s when federal tax incentives encouraged building of, of offices. And 
this was a reckoning that was going to have to happen sooner or later, and the pandemic sped this up by encouraging uh, remote work. And now, um, like you said, people are coming in four days a week, maybe three and a half, three days, I think, in a lot of places. Uh, we look at the numbers from Castle, which looks at um, mm -hmm. security swipes, and on a nationwide basis at 10 major cities, it's still only around 50% of the 2019 levels. Wow. Uh, Moody's said that uh, the national vacancy rate in office is about a little over 19%, uh, close to an all-time high. And um, it's a real problem. We have a glut of office space in big cities. Now, the new Class A buildings with all the nice amenities, the, the outdoor space, um, a lot of nice indoor space, you know, that are environmentally efficient and have all the bells and whistles tend to be filling up. Um, Hudson Yards is uh, some of the yeah. new offices. Oh, and even though it's, it's not easy to get to, uh, it's attracting a lot of private equity and financial firms and real estate firms. And in fact, um, related, the owner of the building is in, in talks to sell the former Neiman Marcus space. I think they have a deal, in fact, to Wells Fargo, which is then going to turn it into office space. So at the high end, things are okay. It's more the class B and class C office spaces that are particularly in dire condition. And the big question is what becomes of them? And, you know, the answer that all the mayors have, including Mayor Adams here in New York, is, well, we have a glut of office. We have a deficit of residential. Let's convert office to residential. Makes a lot of sense on paper. Very difficult in practice. Because of the egress and elevators and light and all of that. Correct? All that stuff. When you have, you know, in the financial district in Manhattan, they were able to convert a lot of those mm -hmm. early and mid-20th century buildings into apartment buildings. And those were thinner with smaller floor plates. You're able to carve bedrooms out of those floors with, without making people feel like they're inside a bomb shelter. With these big hulking buildings out here on 3rd Avenue or over on 6th Avenue where my office is, uh, it's not that easy. And you're gonna, you, you can't just carve out bedrooms that all have windows as are required in, in, most, in most cities. So it's not really clear what, what's going to happen to these. And I think what will eventually happen is the, uh, these, these office buildings will start to empty out. And then the owners will sell them at a very, very cheap price. Mm -hmm. And the new, the new owner will come in. And because their basis will be so low, they can either do a very expensive conversion from office to residential because they're basically getting the building for the price of the land. Or rather than trying to convert an office into something it was never intended to be, they'll knock over the building and create a, a new apartment or condo building from the ground up. So which regions are doing well in the office market? Other than Florida, I'm sorry, Florida, Florida, Florida. Yeah, um, there's there's really not a whole lot of success in the office market right now. So not every really. everyone is going through the same thing. I mean, um, you know, even in the Sun Belt, where where business is booming and jobs are 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 multiplying and companies are relocating there, they're having troubles now. You know, in in Texas, their you know vacancy rates are high. In Atlanta, another Sun Belt boomtown, vacancy rates are high. Um, I wish the news was better for office owners, but, you know, for now, uh, uh, until the supply glut gets worked out mm -hmm. and until interest rates come down so that owners can refinance at, at cheaper levels, it, it's going to be a tough slog. You know, again, with, with the exception of some of the high-end offices that are still doing relatively well. Or unless people come back to work. 
if they come back to work full time, people, I mean, even the law firms, they're making so much money because they're, they don't have people, there's no business expenses. So we have to get people back to work. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think it was Steve Ross that related said, you know, when the recession comes, people will come back to the office. They'll want to be in the office again. And he may be right, but, you know, so far we haven't had that recession. And um, even, you know, we had a story out uh, yesterday talking about how CEOs at tech firms and Wall Street firms are cracking the whip and telling they want their employees back and they're going to check security badge swipes, and they're going to include performance reviews uh, with information on who's in the office and who's not. And so far, at least, it hasn't really moved the ball that much. We're still only around half of the levels that we were in 2019. This is something that workers are really, really digging in on, and right now they seem to have the leverage. Maybe that leverage shifts back to the employer if we do go into recession, but for right now, this is something that a lot of employees feel strongly about and and their bosses haven't pushed back hard enough to get them back in more than three, three and a half days a week. Well, personally, I hope that the employers win this fight because I don't know how you could run a company, me being an owner, if your employee is not in front of you. I don't know how you move ahead. You have to be in front of the person, show that you're talent, but... That's on another note. Let's move on to affordable housing. What are you seeing in this town? I mean, I know the 421A is expired. Everybody wants affordable housing. If I'm a developer, why am I going to build a building if I have no tax incentive? So I'm going to sit on it. And we have a shortage of it. How do we meet both the developers and the citizens in the middle? Yeah, it's an excellent question. Um, 421A, you know, the, the tax incentive to encourage private development of affordable housing didn't really seem to make anyone too happy. Developers felt it wasn't generous enough, and lawmakers felt it was too generous, so it expired. I, I think that we're going to have to come back with a, a, a 421A 2.0 that uh, gets the ball rolling again, because right now there, there's just not that incentive to right. encourage private development. And as we were talking about previously, you know, there's not a whole lot of room. There's not a whole lot of vacant land in New York City, so that means converting something that already exists into affordable housing. And we're, you know, as we we're saying, there, there's some office buildings where that can work, but 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 not a whole lot. And what about multifamily? <sighs> multifamily is, is is another problem here. I I think um, we're, we're seeing more building of that, but rents are really high. Um, it's going to encourage building, but so let's talk about multifamily for one minute. I'm just going to try and see if we could um, understand this better. So if I have a building and I have tenants that are some rent stabilized and some not, and I'm told that I have to cap what I could tent and I could charge my tenant, I understand both sides. But how do we overcome the difference between me buying a building, let's say, for $10 million with the hope that I'm going to get a rent roll that makes sense to pay for what I just bought, and now there's a cap on what I can charge for my tenants? Where are we on that, and what are you seeing? Well, you know, they changed, they changed the rules about being able to take uh, affordable uh, buildings that had affordable uh, housing components and, and change, uh, change it to market rate with mm -hmm. improvements uh, a few years ago. Right. Um, and you've seen now a few sales in the past couple of months where owners who had bought buildings with the intention of moving to market rate are now selling these buildings at, at relatively low prices compared to what they paid for them because they don't see the economic model anymore. Their plan was to convert the affordable to market rate. Uh, 
putting aside whether you think that's proper or fair, but that was the business model. Mm-hmm. Um, that model is no longer available to a lot of these buildings, and so people are, are, are selling them now and looking elsewhere, looking to buy buildings where they can uh, charge market rate, which would be ones where they're already at that level. Yeah, so it's just another another example of the attrition that's going on right now. Well, let's move on to something better and <laughs> happier, which I think, as I'm seeing, is retail. Am I, am I imagining this? Do I see retail really picking up? Stores are busy, uh, less for sale signs, for rent signs. What are you seeing in retail? Yeah, retail is sort of a, a surprisingly good story, as you were saying. Um, you know, the, the shopping malls, particularly shopping malls in these small towns and the older ones, are still struggling, but retail overall is doing quite well. In fact, we had a story uh, a few weeks ago that we're on pace now to have na- nationwide a thousand more store openings and closings. Wow, where? Which region? No, nationwide. Nationwide, okay. And that we are um, retail availability is at record lows. And what happened was uh, retail went through the reckoning that office is going through now about 15 years ago. And when e-commerce really started to accelerate, we already had a glut of physical retail stores. Um, that, that shift to online commerce made it even more apparent. And builders stopped building new retail at, a, you know, at the same pace. They greatly slowed down their construction. Stores were closing. Um, and we eventually got to the point where we didn't have this same glut of physical retail. And we're at the stage now when Big box stores are actually expanding again. We've written about how Barnes & Noble, TJ Maxx, Marshalls, some of these other stores that had slowed their construction are picking up again. And they figured out ways to do it uh, that's smarter and more strategic. They can pinpoint the neighborhoods where they really want to have stores. They can have smaller stores. Uh, they can figure out really what the goods the consumer wants and make sure that that's what they're featuring. And retail does have the same issues that everyone else has with high interest rates and difficulty financing and and renewing their loans. And if we hit a recession, that's going to be a problem because people will will cut back on their consumer spending. But the retail sector is in a much better space today than it was even a few years ago, certainly going into the pandemic. And if the economy stays strong, then, then retail is still a place that's doing, it's doing pretty well. Can you share with us any figures on how many stores are vacant and what you see going on, particularly in this region? I don't have those finger uh, those details uh, at my fingertips. I think you know New York is a little different than other parts of the country. You do still see uh, vacancies up and down the street, and New York City is you know turnover has not is not new. It's not a post pandemic phenomenon, particularly in like say the restaurant business where most restaurants right. fail. Um, I think you are seeing fewer mom and pop shops here. Um, you're seeing more fast casual. Um, that's that's doing really well. You know, salad places are doing really well. One thing a colleague was commenting uh, to me the other day is this rise in food courts now. Um, not just uh, not just sort of low end food halls, but these really high end ones. Jean Georges has one down at South Street Seaport. So there's something called Urban Space around the corner from mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there. You're seeing a lot more on on that front. And I think you know New York retail. Um, 
as long as we have a decent economy and tourists coming, we'll, we'll be okay. Even, even I think Madison Avenue and Fifth Avenue, where rents had gotten too high and came down, is showing some stabilization. Do you think it's because of the rent or because of the locations? Like on Madison Avenue, Third Avenue, Soho, all those strips of vacant stores before the pandemic, are they filling up? They, I, you know, I, I don't have the numbers, but anecdotally, it looks like they're starting to fill up. And I think part of it is that rents came down. And when, mm-hmm. when rents come down, you have buyers. And also, you know, foot traffic is back up. If you go to Soho on the weekends, um, the sidewalks are full. And the cafes are overflowing onto, you know, onto the sidewalk and their little sidewalk shacks. Um, you see people there, and it, it, it's, it's, it's lively again. Not, not everything is open, but, but again, in New York City, you never have 100% open. You always have some turnover. But um, you, you're not seeing store after store you know, with these four rent signs like you were during the depths of the pandemic. Well, I think this is great news. I think that New York will always be the destination of the world, and you have so many young people coming here. Of course, we've lost a lot of the high-income taxpayers, but we, you're saying that people are in the streets, they're in the stores, people are shopping. So we are going to see the re- regentification of this town, and I hope that you're right about that. But let's talk about foreign investors. That's something that I've always been interested in. It used to be New York has always been a destination for tourists, foreign investors, Russians, Chinese People from all over the world would want to come here. Are you still seeing that? Or I know you say they're here visiting, but are they buying? Uh, in terms of commercial real estate, I think there was there was an uptick uh, over the previous year in foreign investment in the U.S., with New York being toward the top of that list. Um, you mentioned Russian and Chinese. I think that investment is, is slowing. I think you're seeing more from East Asia, Western Europe, there's a lot of Korean investment. There's some. There's still a fair amount of Middle Eastern investment. The Qataris, the Saudis are, are buying. Are buying particularly in New York City. Where are they buying? I mean, you know, they uh, investment properties, not where to live. Well, both. Um, you know, I think the Qataris own the Plaza Hotel. They own the. You know, another fund owns the St. Regis Hotel. Um, and there's, you know, in, in terms of places to live, I think you're seeing some of that still, yeah. Um, but foreign investment I, I, is not as robust nationwide as it, it was before, in part because um, we were getting a lot of Chinese, tens of billions of dollars of Chinese investment, and that, that really has stopped. And the government uh, is intentionally trying to keep all those dollars from flowing out of China and into the U.S. They want to keep it bottled up in their own country. Um, so that is that is a... A, a, a buyer that has not been replaced. So, Craig, this is really mostly good news. You really based, just to sum it up, everybody, really what you're saying is that the retail market is coming back. We see a lot of more people on the streets. The hotel, the hotel business is doing very well, and we have new hotels opening, and we're getting record rates as before the pandemic. Correct me if I'm wrong at any of this. The office market continues to suffer, particularly, I mean, it's not just this Northeast region, it's everywhere. The 420-way affordable housing, we're, we're waiting on, we don't know. And I think that's really a wrap. 
I don't know if I really, I think we've hit everything. Thank you for your expertise and for all that you've done and what you do and keeping us informed of what's happening in this town and all these regions. So tell me if I've missed anything. So basically what you're saying, this is kind of all good news, which is saying is that the the whole region is down. We understand that mostly because of interest rates. So we understand that there's not a lot of transactions on the sales part. Retail is doing well, which is a bright spot because we have people shopping and people coming back, young people. So you see an uptick in retail. Hotels there's going to, is back to the numbers of pre-pandemic. That's fantastic news. The office market, of course, continues to suffer because people are not back at work and COVID and the people, the high buildings, the, the A buildings like in Hudson Yards are continuing to do well. And the foreign buyers are also back. So I think that's a wrap. I'm not sure that I've missed anything. Mostly this is very good news. To me, it's the office market that's the biggest, we have the biggest issue in in right now, and that is going to trickle down. But people will be able to roll up their sleeves, get it back for less money, and we're going to start all over again. I would just say, I I think that's all about right. I mean, I think things are picking up. We're 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 still not in a great place yet. We're we're we're, we're definitely all those things you said are moving in the right direction, with the exception of office, mm-hmm. and that's a pretty big exception because you know much of our tax base comes from uh, yes. from the office owners, so that will continue to be a drag on the city. Um, high rents is going to still be a problem for the city, and you know lack of affordable housing is still a problem for the city. So I I I, I see it as kind of a mixed bag, but. Um, we can end on a high note and say it's good for hotel owners that people are coming back to New York City. And tourism. And, and foreign buyers. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for coming on the Miller sure, Report. Sure, yeah. Dear listeners, thank you for coming on my podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please download, subscribe, and share. Thank you so much. Bye. <laughs>